So we're continuing on through John. We're in chapter 4, and today we're looking at verses 31 to 42. Here comes the evil test. What was last week's sermon? Nicely done. Yes, good. Well narrowed down to 166th of the Bible. Woman at the well. And what, what interesting things happened with her? <laughs> she found out somebody else knew something about her. Everything about her. He knew everything about her. And that was a bit of a shock. How would you feel if somebody walked up to you and they knew everything? You get that little twisty feeling in your tummy. Remember, remember when you were little and your parents caught you doing something that you knew you weren't supposed to be doing and you had that kind of sick feeling? Or maybe you didn't. You guys may have been much better behaved than I was. That's very possible. I think most people were. So we have a woman at a well And a man who knows her whole life. And what did she do? At the end of that, at the end of that event of their discussion together, what did the woman at the well do? She went off and she told everybody. Now we pick up immediately following this with Jeff dropping papers. Verse 31. So she's off telling everybody she knows what happened. Verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor." Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So this is the portion that we're looking at today. And we have three things that happen here. The first one is the question of the food. Now, imagine this as a conversation that you just happened to overhear. Teacher, you should have something to eat. Oh, I have food you don't know anything about. Did somebody bring him food? That actually doesn't sound like an unreasonable or a particularly mystical conversation, does it? If it was just people, you would think, yeah, somebody else brought him a burger. Okay. But because we're looking back and we already know what Jesus is talking about, we see the specific meaning to his words that the disciples are missing. Now, what Jesus says is cool, and he says it a bunch of different ways throughout the New Testament. But specifically, what I want you to pay attention to is the disciples who miss it completely. Now, if you have ever been told something by someone that you're more or less paying attention to, and have missed entirely what it was they were actually saying to you, raise your hand. It's pretty much all of us. And sometimes I feel bad for the disciples because they missed it. Jesus says something really cool to them. You know, they're concerned about him. That's that's kind of a neat thing. He's been busy. He's been talking to people. He's been traveling around. He's on this big trip. Teacher, you should eat something. Stop for a bite. Take care of yourself. That sounds like nice things to say to Jesus, but Jesus is busy. And he can be sustained in ways that we're unaware of. but they don't pick up on that. They don't notice that what he's saying is talking about being fed by the word of God, being fed through the power of the Holy Spirit, being sustained to do what he needs to do because his time in his physical ministry is limited. And they respond... Did somebody else bring them food? And so I feel bad for them for a couple of reasons. Because in all the years that I've been reading this, in all the years that I've been discussing this with people, in in the years at college where it was explained to me, every single time somebody laughs at the disciples, they missed it. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. But how many of us would miss the same thing? How many of us miss the same thing in our daily lives? 
And see, it seems like this is just kind of an offshoot in this section. It doesn't seem initially to have anything to do with what's going on around it, but it is tied in as tightly as any woven piece of material. This is crucial. Because we have two more sections. We have the continued discussion about food that Jesus has with his disciples. Now pay attention to who he is speaking to. He is speaking to those immediate followers who are traveling about with him. He's not talking to the Samaritans. He's not talking to the woman at the well. He's not talking to strangers. He's talking to the people who have been hanging out, who have been handpicked by him, or who have chosen to follow him. And here is what he says. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Yes, I did jump a bit, I know. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. This is what he's saying to the people who are immediately following him. The harvest is ripe. If you have ever lived on a farm, if you have ever lived near a farm, then you can't help but notice when the harvest is ready. You're going past a, a corn farm. And you see those lovely big ears of corn on the stalks. And the stalk, you know, and they're, they're huge and they're all reaching up. And you can't miss them, those beautiful tassels coming out of the top. Or you go past a wheat farm and you see that golden wheat just stretching off forever. Or a tomato farm with the lovely big red ripe tomatoes sitting there just waiting to be made into a sandwich. And it becomes obvious. And when Jesus looked at the world, when Jesus looked at the people around him, he saw a harvest that was ready. Who were the sowers? He says that they were sent to reap. He sent them out to reap the harvest. And he said the sowers did the hard work. Who were the sowers? Hmm? We're after them. So you sow first, and then you reap. Who sowed the seed? Pardon? Yes. The word of God was sowed among people waiting to be harvested for the kingdom. People who were ready to accept Jesus as Lord Who placed the seed? Do you remember when it says that Jesus wept? He looks over at Jerusalem. And what does he say when he looks out at Jerusalem? Who's he talking about there? The prophets. The prophets who were set with the word of God, with a mission 
to spread the word of God to his people. And so we have what we call the Old Testament. And that is the work of the sowers. They are laying the foundation with the people of Israel for the coming of the Messiah. And they watered that seed with their blood. They were killed in the streets. They were killed in their own cities. They were killed in their beds. They were dragged out. They were arrested. They were hunted down. The nation was scattered and then reformed and scattered, conquered time after time. They failed constantly. And God would lift them back up again when they returned to him repentant. And they planted the seed. They prepared the people with a message of the prophecies from God. And after all of this time, the seed had grown and it was ready to be harvested. And so he sent out the disciples with the gospel. Now, It sounds easy, doesn't it? But we recognize it must be harder than that. It can't be that easy. And so we have the third portion. The third portion involves the Samaritans in that town. Now remember, we talked about Samaritans a while ago. Do the Samaritans and the Jews get along? No, they don't. Do the Samaritans and the Jews worship together? No, they don't. The Samaritans did not worship in the temple. They worshiped in the high places. They had altars up on the mountainsides. And they would travel there and they would make their offerings. And they worshiped God, the same God that Israel worships. They did it in a different place. They did not acknowledge that the priesthood were preeminent. Consequently, they did not get along. They were considered unclean by the Jewish people. What was Jesus? He was Jewish. And yet, verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because, there it was, gone, of the woman's testimony. Many. Because she went and she told everybody she knew, right? That's all she did. I saw this guy. He knew about all the guys that I've been with. He knew my life. And their response was to believe. So, when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed, must have been years, right? It must have taken years. How long did he stay? Two days. He stayed two, yes, now, yes, It's Jesus. 
So probably his two days are worth a lot more than mine. But just the same, he stayed with them for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. So how many became believers because the woman told her account? Many. And then Jesus spends two two days with them, and many more become. We don't have specific numbers. We're just told it's many. And then we have this little bit of exposition at the end, an explanation, and this is pretty cool. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We no longer believe, which means originally they did what? Because of what she said. They believed because what she said. And then they met Jesus. And it was a whole new ball game. Does that mean that they stopped believing briefly in the middle? No. But the focus of their belief became concentrated in the one who had come to save them. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. The harvest is ready. In the last week, I don't want hands, I don't want anybody to say anything. This is an internal thing for you. In the last week, how many people did you tell about Jesus? Or speak to about Jesus in the last week? If there's a positive number in there at all, that's awesome. If the number is greater than zero, that's as close as you will ever get me to being mathematical. If the number is greater than zero, good. In the last week. Now, I got to jump away from the text just for a second. Come way over here. I'll step off camera and drive people nuts. Or maybe they'll be pleased. Who knows? Oh, yes, Rich is sneaky. He starts to move it. When is Jesus coming again? Anybody got a date? So it's kind of hard to schedule around this, isn't it? We don't get to take out our phones and go to the calendar and say, all right, Jesus is coming back in six years two months, and three days. So let's divide that out. Now I'll schedule in uh, once a week, half an hour, I'm going to speak to somebody about Jesus. It would be interesting if we could do that. We can't. All we know is this. The harvest is ready. What happens 
if you don't gather the harvest. It's lost, it rots. I used tomatoes for a very specific reason when I was speaking about this earlier. Because if you haven't ever walked through a field of rotting tomatoes, you need to try it. It's really a visual, audible, and scent-oriented trip. Every step you take is a... And then the odor comes up. And then you can see the rotted tomatoes everywhere. And I think that is what Jesus does not want to happen. Many, 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 many years ago now, a friend of mine came up to me and he looked really concerned. I was working at Radio Shack. It was quiet in the store. We had plenty of time to talk. He came in. He was looking upset. I was just kind of puttering around doing my thing. And he comes out with, Jeff, I just don't know what to do about this Jesus thing. And I said, I'll be right back. And I went into the back room and hid. So that was about, I think, 33 years ago, maybe 34 years ago. 33 years ago, I think. And I still feel sick about that. I still feel sick about that because it was brought right to my face that there was a plant ready to be harvested. And I walked away. I had the easy job. All I had to do was talk to him. I didn't have to lay any groundwork. I promise you, you never want this feeling. Instead, Let's do the easy job. Now, easy is relative. It's still work. We still have to take a chance. We still have to go and speak to people. Is Christianity popular today? Nah. Who cares? We're not here to be popular. We're not here to have fancy buildings. We're not here to have fancy stuff. We're not here to have uh, great relationships with people because they look at us and they say, hey, they're cool. How many of you saw uh, the latest Spider-Man movie? Such a small group. No, the latest spider You didn't see the latest one yet, Jada. That's not happening for a while. But there's a line that kind of got me excited briefly in that, and it's a bit of a spoiler. Brace yourselves, cover your ears if you don't want to hear it. But the two older spider men are, <laughs> you got to think tense is there for a second, are standing there, and of course, one of them is in his costume, and the other one is wearing regular clothes. 
and they're about to go and leap into action. And the Spider-Man who is in his costume looks at the other Spider-Man and says, are you going to suit up or are you just going to look like a cool youth pastor? That's the line. And I got really excited. I did. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I realized, wait a minute, that was not a compliment. That was a burn. The world doesn't like us. We're not called to be like the world. The world didn't like Jesus. So if they like us, maybe we're doing something wrong. We have a message that is really important. It's salvation for eternity. It's not, hey, eat this sandwich and you'll feel good for an hour. Maybe two hours if it's a really good sandwich. We have a message for people that is the difference between an eternity spent in heaven doing something, we're not quite sure what, but that's okay, or an eternity spent in hell. And when we read through the Bible, we see a couple of facts that kind of get ignored right now. The first one is this, that everyone is supposed to go to hell. All have sinned and fallen short. All. The word is very specific. Every single person is I am supposed to go to hell. But Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin, to pay for your sin. And three days later, Jesus came back from the dead demonstrating God's power over life and death and demonstrating the resurrection for us. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, that in the description of those who will be saved, the quantitative term, that is the term that describes how many people are going to be saved, is remnant. What is a remnant? Hmm? A scrap. A little bit. If I have a shirt and the shirt is all just worn out and there's only a remnant of it left, there might be a little patch. Maybe Hazel will take it and put it in a quilt. Who knows? But I know this. It won't be a lot. What our job is, is to gather the harvest, to go and find the people that are ready, to share the gospel with them and give them a chance to accept, not to make them accept, not to hit them with sticks until they accept, not to be rude and threaten them until they accept, to give them the chance to accept. But if we don't speak the words... Then what? Well, we know there are exceptions to this. How many of you heard Azra's story? 
Some did, some didn't. For those of you who didn't, it's on YouTube if you look in the church channel. It's well worth seeing. I'm going to give you this little tidbit from her story. While she was in jail and a practicing Muslim, and no one else had ever shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with her, guess who showed up to tell her? Jesus did. She got the same thing that the Samaritans did. And she believed. But as painful as it is to recognize, he doesn't seem to be doing that in every single case. And particularly where she grew up and there weren't any Christians around her. But here in Canada, there are. Now let's forget all the other countries that theoretically we work with, that we have missionaries going to, or we have, you know, we, we send Bibles to, or we do whatever. Forget about that. We live in St. John. The Samaritan woman, or the woman at the, at the well, was picking up her daily water when she met Jesus. And when she realized who he was and what he could do and what he was going to do, she ran off and told everyone she knew. And what was many of their responses? To believe. If you actually prayed today, then you had an interaction with Jesus Christ. If you had an interaction with Jesus Christ today, are you going to run off and tell everybody you know? Even now, I see the expressions on some of your faces. When I have this conversation with other people, I see the expressions on their faces. We don't want to do it. Why is that? It's the easy end of the stick. It's the easy bit of work. Let's go with the image of farming again for a second. Has anyone ever plowed out a garden? Maybe you got a rototiller and you buzz through it. You get one of those really cool ones where the blade's in the back and you can lean on it so it's like half carrying you. And you go across and even if there's grass there, this thing's blades go and they chew up the grass and then you go along with the rake and you pull the grass out and it's great. But that's not how they did it. They had to break the land. They had to break the land if they couldn't afford an actual plow, they had to do it by hand, basically with heavy hose. And this was the food they were going to have. It wasn't easy work. And the guys who walked along with scythes or sickles and just cleaned it up, that was a much easier job to do. Our job is much easier. We let people know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross as the Son of God, innocent, completely righteous. He died to pay 
for my sins. So I don't have to. I couldn't, but he could, and he did. And in dying on the cross, his death pays for me, pays for you. Three days later, he comes forth from the tomb. He rises from the dead. And he's seen by hundreds of people by the time that he actually ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of God and to intercede for us as our high priest. And anyone who wants to accept him can. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's that easy. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to do right now in this world. And see, a lot of people say, well, you know, nobody really seems interested or nobody's really biting on this stuff. So as an example, one of the churches, and I knew the name right up to the point where I stepped up here, one of the churches that continued to meet and was given massively heavy fans, uh, fines out west had over 850 people come to Christ because it was clear that they were serious about the gospel. We need to be serious about the gospel. The harvest is white. It's ready. And we're right here in the middle of it. We're in a terrible time. People are very unsettled. People do not know what to do. What is the one thing that has not changed, God. The same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The mission of Jesus, the Messiah, is unchanged. To be the sacrifice to pay for our sins. To save us from our own perfidy. And all we have to do is tell people about it and maybe many of them will believe.